Excited to be here with Dr. Vicki Johnson-Lawrence. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I got all the designations. There's so many more. We don't even need to talk <laughs> about that. Let's just, sometimes I address you as Dr. Vicki. Is that okay? Or Dr. Lawrence or Dr. Johnson. Anyway, we're <laughs> here for a purpose and is to talk about the trauma-informed world we're in. Or are we in it? Boy, I have a lot of questions for you. I'm not sure if you're ready for this, but we're going to jump into the topic because it's so important today. Even two years from now, it's going to be important. What is being trauma-informed and is that a good or bad thing? Being trauma-informed means that we take the time to be empathetic to others, but we are also taking time to be mindful of ourselves. And when I say that, some people worry about empathy and worry if they have it. It means you're putting yourself in somebody else's shoes long enough to not focus on how you feel, but how they feel. And mm -hmm. No, keep going, keep going. And in terms of the world we're in, we've got to get there. We've got work to do. What informs you about this world that tells you we need to get there? What are you seeing from both people's personal lives all the way up to the workplace? You have a great deal of experience. I'd like you to wind that in a little bit here, too, in the academic world. But also, your, a lot of your work has been done in cities and towns who, are, who are, have been in traumatic situations, but how, where do you see it, where we're at personally, professionally, and that mix right now? All over the place. And in some industries, it's more common. So in mental health or in clinical settings in general, trauma-informed practice means something. And it's meant something for, for you know maybe 10 or 15 years. It's been pretty prominent. But outside of traditional health spaces, these are foreign words. They don't hold any value, but we are all typically going through motions that show we need help. And when I say we need help, let me pull it back to be more concrete. We're trying to figure out day to day how to manage all the stress that we get. We get home stress, we get work stress, and then you're supposed to love people after that. So it's not just the bad, but it's hunting for the good things in our lives, those good moments and living in those as we, if we talk about COVID right now, um, as we try to figure out how to be our best selves. It's, it's not the easiest concept to grab, but you know it when you've got it because you start to feel like you belong, you start to feel safe, and you start to feel like you can make decisions that feel good for you. If someone's hearing trauma-informed, that phrase for the first time, where is it now embedded in our culture and being used to good, good effect that we might not see in our everyday lives? Because I guess if we show up in an emergency room, I mean, they're, they better be trauma-informed. But right. like, where, where is it in place and working now, and why is it important? I mean, I think you've covered that, but why else is it important? When... Let me give a let me see if I can give you a good example of where people would see it immediately. So if you had a car accident and in that accident you broke your leg, but you also got a concussion, you would not want the doctor to assume anything about 
how smart you are, how capable you are, because you can't think in that moment. You've got a concussion. Your brain is not working the same way. Well, when we talk about trauma-informed practice, it's in that same spirit. If you're going through a bunch of stuff, if life is hard, harder for you than what you're used to, you don't want people to judge you on that experience. You don't want them to say that you're not capable. You don't want them to mark you as a low performer. You don't want them to mark somehow incapable. You want the same experience that everyone else gets when they are the, their best selves. You, you see a trauma-informed. That, that mm-hmm. helps a lot. Do you think that, that small companies, small nonprofits should, should have a sense of this? And how do you bring that to the table when you're consulting with those organizations? And I don't mean small just mom and pop, but small companies could be defined as mom and pop to 500 people. But how do you, how would you, how do you integrate this to make it helpful? So when you think about workplace culture, that's probably the most, um, way that we would talk about a trauma informed workplace. And when I say workplace culture, I mean, when people come in every day, are they happy to be there? Are they productive when they're there? And do they feel like they are making a contribution and serving the mission of that organization, that business? When um, when I've worked and served alongside people in the business space, everybody wants to know the business case. Well, your business case is that you want people to come in and be their best selves so that you get the best work from them. And that helps your bottom line. If you have a, if you have a workspace that is not motivating to people or that make sure all the bad stuff comes out every day. You're not getting the best of your employees. You want a trauma-informed space so that there's a focus on being well, being better instead of the worst that everybody has to manage. What are some of the steps that you've taken to to help this? We, you know, what are just a couple of the steps that when you see an organization that that needs this help, what do you come in and do? To make it better. When I come in, when I come in, I ask about their mission and vision. That's part one. People, and this is C-suite folks as well, they are excited about their business. They're excited about that mission and vision and searching for ways to achieve it faster, better, with greater quality all the time. So what I do is to provide an assessment in partnership with the leadership, an assessment to say, where there are opportunities to become more trauma-informed, where your opportunities to make this a safer place. I discuss the outcomes that matter to those leaders. They have to tell me, I, I don't run your business, I'm not attempting to, but I can offer suggestions and strategies to help that workplace be more conducive to reaching and serving the mission and vision. What if, that's, that's pretty awesome. That sounds like the business case you're making the business case. You're not just saying, hey, this is another thing you need to add to your business to right. cause even more stress. Right. Well, what if you're in a situation, what are some signs you need this help? I mean, just some companies and small businesses and nonprofits, even larger companies, you've seen them in cities and towns that you've worked in. They're operating from one firefight to another, even if they're making profit They and they think, but maybe people are peeling off, people are super stressed out, people take sick days. What are, are those some of the signs? What are some of the signs you need 
this kind of help that you bring to the table that I think is not known by a lot of folks, this phrase and this concept. Yes. Um, when you think about, when we think about the workplace, if you're ready to rush in and get to work, but you're also rushing to get out of work, and it's not just because you have other things to do after work, that's a pretty good sign that your workplace is not a place people want to be. If your workplace doesn't provide an opportunity for people to have any form of self-care during the day, that's not a workplace where workers can be comfortable. They don't have a chance to recover at work to get back to their best selves. If well, what if I'm a driver and I want things done and that's the way this business is operated and we've been successful for years, but yeah, I'm, but you know what? A couple of key people have left that affected this business and, and it's, let's say it's up to, I don't know, 50 people now, something that you might deal with, something even bigger, but maybe there's something that's just got that leader. Maybe they've had a health issue, something that's put, pulled them back and said, maybe I need to find out if I'm not bringing this to the people that are now leaving. I'm noticing my top performers leaving. What are some of the questions you would ask that person right up front to help get them to understand this concept and to, to bring in your services and help? The very first question would ask, did you speak to that employee when they were having their worst moment? And then did you speak to that employee when they were having their best moment? Ask what's different and then identify if that whatever made that different is something you can contribute to. Ooh, that's a penetrating question. Are those, if I don't want to ask that and I've got staff or a division, you could, you could work for the division department organization, right? It right. doesn't have yes. to just, okay. Right. But how are you, do you come in and just have a one-on-one -on -one with that person or the leaders? How do you run the assessment and get a pulse of where they're at? Well, depending on the organization, sometimes it's, actually, I think it's generally equally important to have C-suite opinions and the opinions of the employees who are working there. If there's a big disconnect and there's no understanding, no shared understanding between the C-suite folks and the folks on the floor, that's probably the very first thing to address. Now, in an assessment, that would be more detailed. Yes, we would talk to C-suite personnel. We would find out what's important to them, ask the employees what's important to them, generate an assessment that acknowledges all of those issues. It has to be comprehensive. Um, now, we can do the assessment and find out that is something you can handle and change on your own. That's fantastic. But if it's something that, demonstrates a clear disconnect between the leaders and the teammates, or if the space is so hierarchical that communications aren't going up and down, then it's generally a longer engagement, initial engagement, engagement process, because there has to be a meeting of the minds that we even have something to address. So what if we've it's just hard work? Yeah, it sounds like it, but, but, bringing light to this is really important today. And thank you for doing this, Dr. Vicki. I, I want to know what are some of the, what are some vital signs from the, from an outsider perspective that you see in to a company where you're like, boy, they could use our help. Maybe they, maybe they've done a small assessment and it's just said, Hey, 
things are a little bit wrong and maybe that consulting person or person who did the assessment can't do anything about it, but they've just identified there's some issues going on in the workforce, people don't feel supported, and there's some other things that are happening that could create a crisis later. What if that's in there? Can you get to those vital signs pretty quick to tell me how my organization's doing if I have kind of a lack of awareness or I've given, been given one piece of data that says, hey, I better do something? What can you do to help me prevent future problems and get me to making more money, quite frankly, whether I'm a nonprofit or not, mm-hmm. in that business? The first thing I do is listen. The way that the C-suite persons talk about their staff is very telling in terms of how the staff gets treated. Now, there's also a lot of uh, dynamics that play out in the staff uh, space. So there might be an HR unit that might be different than the C-suite unit. That might have been a diversity and inclusion unit. That might be different than people who are on the floor and the supervisors. But identifying that there is either connection between all those groups or a lack thereof is the very first thing that has to be addressed. And if an if a previous assessment has been done, chances are that lack of communication shows up and dampens everything. So getting that communication open is number one. Let me throw a curveball at you. What if I'm someone who's looking in an organization to join as a executive or even lower level opportunities? What are some questions I should be asking or looking at to make sure I might be joining a healthy organization a trauma-informed organization if I ever need it or the people I'm leading have it, is there any way to tell? There's no big stamp on the, you know, right. on the website that tells, tells you that. What are some things to listen for or notice? We can ask structure of the organization. So is it such that there's a team at the top that makes decisions and then there are intermediate teams along the way to get things done? Or is it all based on one person's opinion? You can ask whether people tend to stay in the role, if there's high turnover in that space or in that job or in that unit. That's a very good indicator of whether something is going on in that space that needs address. You can also ask something about the duration of employment that people tend to hold. You can get paid a lot of money, but if you are tortured every day that you're there, it still may not be the right fit. And then I would finally ask whether change culture or whether there is a sense that things do change in that workplace is present. If you don't get the sense that anything changes over time and things look just like they did 25 years ago, that might be a stagnant place and somewhere you'd have to work really hard to feel like you belong, especially if you're not in the know or not already affiliated. How does this help my bottom line? If I'm looking to bring in more trauma-informed, that sounds nice. And I know it's the pandemic kind of times or we're just getting past that, but how is this going to help me make money or help my organization make money? Let's just cut to the chase with, with cut through the bureaucracy. Dr. Vicki, how's this going to help me? Bottom line. If people hate being in your workplace, they'll only give you the bare minimum. It's just that simple. So make a workplace that it doesn't have to be elaborate, but you have to make a mentally health, a mental health, mentally safe workplace. Psychological safety is what the phrase is really called, but you have to create 
an environment where people can be themselves a little bit, but also focus on the job a little bit. And how are these, have you seen organizations turn things around and become more prosperous, profitable, and where people love to work there by doing some of the work that you're doing? Do, do you see some of the, the the light at the end of the tunnel instead of just coming in with the, you know, hey, you do need to change some things. What's on the good side of this that you've seen? More positive interactions between staff, some belief that the organization is actually contributing positively to the social environment. Um, when we think about what makes clients care to use your business, if they think you're awful, they may come to you because you have the best price, but that doesn't mean that they're getting the best work. They may get the best work from another organization where innovation is allowed, creativity is allowed. Innovation and creativity are known to improve productivity and outcomes for a variety of businesses. So it's recognizing our brains control our bodies. We should make spaces where our brains feel safe so that our bodies can do the work. Ooh, I think you know something about this subject. <laughs> uh, where, can, where can people uh, read more about this, get a hold of you, learn more about what you do to, to create a trauma-informed workplace, environments to help with quite frankly, the bottom line, if that's okay to say. Yes. In terms of learning more about trauma-informed practices, that generally sits in the health space. And with the pandemic, people are learning a lot more, a lot more quickly. And in terms of reaching me to talk about it, my email is probably the fastest way to do it. But I have a website that's up and living. It's called resiliencywins.com. Um, my email is vicky.j.lawrence at gmail.com. And of course, if you reach out to John, he can get me anytime. You gotcha. Well, I, I'm so happy to say I got the red phone ready for this to bring in more trauma-informed <laughs> workplaces. But you, you know, I want to keep going a little bit more here because this is such good stuff. How do you see the world today from a you're a family person? What are your concerns going forward if we don't get a handle on this? We let COVID kind of pass us by and we don't get better and more trauma-informed. What are some of the concerns you have? And then we'll, we'll, we'll wind down right after that. My concerns are that we forget how to treat each other when we're in social spaces. Since we're not really encouraged to be, to physically be with other people or to get close with other people, it becomes a strain. It becomes a rush to get off the Zoom call, a rush to get off of WebEx, a rush to the next thing. Rushing has not served our community or our country really, hasn't served us very well to rush through things without being mindful of the relationships you might damage or of the relationships that you can build. People are relational. We have to keep that in mind. Um, Outside of that, yes, the pandemic is really, it's really making all sorts of communication and engagement hard, but taking the moments to be trauma-informed. And really this means not, I think of it as not being rude to somebody else. It means being aware that other people go through things that you don't have to go through. If we can take that time and just step back a little bit, we will be much more prepared to engage with each other when COVID is over. And you you feel like this is important to get this in now because the, the integration of going back to work and having these things and maybe returning to work 
from an absence or, or finding your new opportunity, all these matter right now to get a handle on this stuff, right? Yes. All of the things that we've adapted to do because of the pandemic, they're not going away. We will be expected to do all of what we do now and do something else. Our burdens are going to get bigger. I don't think they're going to get smaller, but we've got to get better at coping with them right now while we have a, a second, it seems, to catch our breath. Dr. Vicki, I'm so happy to have talked to you today and Dr. Vicki Johnson-Lawrence and really excited because I think you've illuminated this, this world a little bit brighter for us with, to be more trauma-informed and, and we just, we absolutely need it. And I appreciate you. And I look forward to the next chapter in our conversation. For having me. I know it's vocabulary. I know it's just more words, but believing in empathy, I think is a way to go. Let's go with what you say. Awesome.